Hi everyone, it's Aliza Licht here, your host, and I'm so thrilled to share that my new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception, is out now. I hope you'll pick up a copy because personal branding is for everyone. It's for the new graduate starting out, the middle manager looking to level up, the executive who wants to be a thought leader, the entrepreneur starting from scratch. It's for anyone who wants to pivot or transition into something new. Because having a strong personal brand means that your name gets dropped in rooms you're not in and that you're thought of for opportunities that other people haven't even heard of yet. So pick up a copy and I can't wait to hear what you think. Hi, this is Aliza Licht, and this is Leave Your Mark, the podcast, where I brew fresh career advice in conversation with some of my most inspiring and successful friends. It's professional advice that you can action immediately, whether you're just starting out in your career or well on your way. With a massive to-do list and a large cup of coffee, I promise that you can get it all done and still have time to post about it. I am super excited to welcome Ashley Murphy to Leave Your Mark today. In case you missed it, I held a competition called Rising Star that I hosted on Instagram, where I really wanted to tap my network to nominate director-level talent who have really gone above and beyond in their roles. And I have to say, I was really happy to see how many amazing leaders were so excited to nominate their direct reports because I do feel that this middle management area is so, so, so incredibly important, not just because they are doing incredible things in their own right, but because they are mentoring the sort of layers beneath them and also managing up to support the people above them. So Ashley Murphy, congratulations on being our first rising star. And when I say our, I just mean me because I'm the only person here. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my God. I am so excited to share your career journey so far. You know, Ashley is driven by her passion for helping inspire young women to excel within beauty and tech. She has extensive experience up to director level working for groundbreaking female founded brands such as Pressed Juicery, Hourglass Cosmetics, Moon Juice, and The Honest Company. But currently, Ashley is the director of integrated digital marketing at Rare Beauty the mission-driven beauty brand founded by Selena Gomez that aims to reduce the stigma associated with mental health. In her role, Ashley is in charge of driving global consumer strategy while growing Rare Beauty's highly engaged community of millions. Since launching just this past September, the team she leads has already been accoladed by Instagram, Sephora, and Vogue for their best-in-class launch strategy and digital innovation. So I guess the first question is, were you always beauty obsessed? I was, but it's so funny. So I grew up in a really small town in Arizona, and I actually had no idea that beauty and fashion could even be a career. I remember in high school doing photo shoots on the weekend, and people thought I was absurd. Like, they thought it was so strange. Meanwhile, you know, they're going to rodeos, and I'm doing photo shoots (laughs) in the street. So looking back, I think I was always really obsessed with beauty, and it was kind of only a matter of time before I got there. But, you know, going into college, I was never like, I'm going to be in beauty. Because really, at the time, I didn't know it could be a career. So where did you go to school? I went to Arizona State University. And what did you major in? Communications. I started in business, realized 
econ is not suited for me and pivoted to communications. So when you graduated ASU, you took a job at a small marketing agency that you were not necessarily passionate about. Yes, I graduated at the height of the recession. And pretty much my mom scared me into thinking, and it wasn't inaccurate, but you're lucky to find a job right now. Just take the first thing you get. So funny enough, I actually don't share this with many people, but I was doing marketing for like senior citizen homes. It was like a small to medium sized business. And it, I remember I would look to you when you had DKNY PR girl and Oscar PR girl, all these people, that's what I was following to, kind of as a side piece to continue my inspiration and creativity. Meanwhile, oh, that's so funny. It feels like a very full circle moment because I remember talking with my colleagues back then. I'm like, oh my gosh, did you see what DKNY PR girl posted today? And like, meanwhile, here we are doing marketing for senior citizen homes. But at the time, you take what you can get, especially at a height of a recession. I think that's accurate. I think though that some people are too proud to do that, right? And other people are just like, I'm going to hold out. But I do think there's something to be said for recognizing that even something like, you know, doing marketing for senior citizens is an experience that you can learn something from. Definitely. No, it was a great learning experience. And I think too, then you realize where your passions lie and where you want to pivot. So from there, how long did you stay there? I stayed there almost a year, two years. And then I was coming out to LA pretty frequently. A lot of my college girlfriends lived here. You know, the city is amazing. It really resonated with me. People didn't think I was weird wearing the outfits I was wearing anymore, you know, dressing up. So I decided, hey, I'm going to save up money for six months. I had a side job. I was doing modeling as well at the time. So Every weekend I was doing modeling. Then during the week I was working my main job and I saved up six months and ended up quitting my job and moving to LA. And my mindset was the worst thing that happens is I move back with my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of, you know, I feel so grateful. But it's, you know, I just had this really fearless mentality that now is the time to do it. And then I ended up interviewing with Press Juicery prior to moving, but I think they were on a hiring freeze or something like that. So I just kept following up with them. And I'm someone who really, really enjoys working. So while I was interviewing at other places and you know, constantly following up with Press Juicery, I was working retail at BCBG, which at the time was like everything to me. Um, and so much fun. And again, going back to styling. And then I think I just harassed Press Juicery enough that they finally gave in and met with me. Well, I know you say that jokingly, but let's talk about the follow-up for a minute. When you say you followed up incessantly, like how often did you follow up? Was it always the same person? Like where do you draw the line between being a stalker <laughs> and getting the job? Yeah. I'm like, how far is it until I'm considered a stage five clinker? <laughs> um, I mean, after every interview, I would always write a handwritten note. I felt like that was the easiest way to stand out, especially at the level I was at, which I only had experience, especially not in food and beverage at the time. And I would follow up with them constantly. It was always different people. And whether it was HR because I saw a job listing or they launched a new project, I would then email whoever spearheaded that project really to congratulate them, tell them I'm still interested in joining the team and how inspired I am by the work that they do. So it was always a little different. And then I would always hand write letters no matter who I met with. Such good tactics. And then they finally caved and offered you a role. Yes. <laughs> You're like, get this girl out of here. Yes. That's one way to shut you up. <laughs> so 
you have said that no role was too big for you or too small for you. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, during my time at Press Juicery, it was really the height of its retail growth. And social back then was such like the wild, wild west. I don't even think people were monetizing their platforms quite yet. So I mean, I would do everything from like brand partnerships to being on the travel team, expanding the retail stores. I had never done a retail store before in my life. I don't know, but I wanted to learn and I'm so eager to learn. And I think there's an opportunity that can be applied to, you know, any facet of marketing. What would you say to people who have the mentality that that's not part of their job description? I find that you can really learn something from any initiative you work on. And I have a very different mindset. And I think the more you take on and the more you put yourself out there, the more you get back and the more face time you have with leadership. So I personally don't believe in that uh, mentality. And I think it's very close-minded. Yep. I would agree with that. So how old are you now? I can ask. I just turned 31. Okay. 31. Great. So When you say you've had a quarter-life crisis, what happened to make you have a quarter-life crisis? Yeah, I call this my quarter-life crisis because I unfortunately got let go at my job. They did a whole restructuring. A new CMO came in. They wanted to bring in their own team members. So at that time, I felt like maybe this is a sign to go to grad school. Maybe I should actually meet with a lawyer and start my own consulting company. And I didn't have one direction and just kind of tested out so many different avenues, which for me personally, I'm very goal oriented and driven. So for me, I was like, what do I do? I don't know what to do. So I call it my quarter life crisis, because it was kind of the year where I was like, what am I doing? Do I go to grad school? I I mean, I was lost, essentially, I think, you know, in your early 20s, you're really not sure where you're supposed to be what you're doing. And that was kind of my year to explore what I was passionate about. So what did you discover? I discovered that I really love working with teams and especially with digital constantly evolving. I felt like, you know, going back in house with a brand was probably the best way to really learn and grow versus starting up my own company. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's great experience, uh, both sides of the coin, I guess. So what would you tell people right now who are having trouble finding jobs? I mean, obviously, you know, we're all going through the pandemic. So many people have lost their jobs what would be your advice to them? Network on LinkedIn. There's so many messages I get from young talent who are like, Hey, can I just talk to you? And I always will take a call with them and establish those relationships early on. And you can always comb through who they're connected to and ask them to connect you to someone. Just hustle and and network, I would say is the best way to start. How did you come upon working at Hourglass? I saw a job listing and my friend was like, this is the best makeup ever. I had never tried it. I was like, sure, love their branding. Let's do it. So then I interviewed with Katie Welch, the CMO. And I remember in my first interview, she was like, are you wearing hourglass? And I wasn't. And I couldn't lie. So of course, I said, no, I'm wearing bare minerals. It was so funny. Um, So now if you were doing that again, though, you would know to wear it, right? Yeah. Well, the thing is I got a bunch of samples, but my samples had ran out because I wanted to test all of the products. But yes, a hundred (laughs) percent, I would totally wear the products now looking back, but I instantly became obsessed with Katie and she's so brilliant that it felt like a no brainer to me. 
So Katie has been really pivotal in your career. And one of the things that I loved about her nomination of you, so we should say that you are also with Katie now at Real Beauty. Was there something in between that you were together at? Yes, we were also together at The Honest Company. Okay, so Hourglass was first, then Honest, then Rare Beauty, right? Yes. I know Katie is amazing at what she does, and obviously she's a great manager also. But what would you say about the way that you worked? What kind of impression do you think you've made on Katie for her to go out of her way and fill out my little nomination (laughs) form to be able to make sure that you were considered for rising star? I mean, I think that's a difficult question. I mean, I've always been there to help her and really been proactive and taking initiative and being really solution oriented and tuning into emotional intelligence of where can I help her and always thinking through this lens of if I was the business owner, if I'm the CMO, what can I provide? You know, how can I improve this process? So, I mean, I hope that's what I've given her. I'm sure you did all of that. But I think When you talk about the emotional intelligence side of things, can you explain that a little more? Like, what do you look for when you're working with someone? How do you tap into something like that? Yeah, I think it really starts off with listening. It's one of the most underrated qualities. And once you start listening and you're self-aware and you're aware of other people's emotions and really start seeing trends and what stresses them out about this certain project or where do they need support, then you can also anticipate what their needs are and kind of deliver on that project accordingly and support in the areas that, you know, your strengths lie and will be best utilized. I've always been someone in every single level of my career who has always felt that my job was to make my boss shine. And it's something I speak about in Leave Your Mark because I think a lot of people spend a lot of time thinking about how they can shine and they don't realize that if they just make their boss shine, inevitably that's going to make them progress in their career because their boss is going to be so appreciative and thankful and realize how indispensable you are that they will make sure that you keep on growing so that you'll stay. So I'm pretty sure that's what's happened with you and Katie all of these years. And I think it's such a testament to her, but it's also a testament to you and the way that you have really been a partner to her. Yeah. It's been so much fun working for her. And I always tell her, I'm like, you can't retire. What am I going to do once you retire? She's too young to retire. But you know, what's funny is like every time she jumps a job, you must be like, oh, okay, guess we're moving now. (laughs) Sometimes. And sometimes I'm like, please, like... (laughs) It's always nice too. I'm sure you have people you've worked with years over. Yes. You know, it's it's also just so easy because you know you can trust the person and you just have your vibe and, and work so well together. I know that when you're thinking about strategy for the brands that you've worked on, you believe that it's critical for a company to know their why. And that's how they can share their story. So tell us a little bit about your mentality when you're thinking about campaigns and how you're structuring things. Yeah, I think modern marketing, you can no longer just say the point of difference anymore. You know, it's really about storytelling and establishing your why. And consumers want to know why should they care? You know, it's really meeting emotion and function, right? And it's like, how can we make the consumer care more, really touch an emotional pinpoint? So that's always what I'm thinking about. And as brands evolved, I think consumers want to see more brands be humanized yeah, and not so corporate. I agree with that. 
What is your approach when you're about to start a campaign? Like, what are the steps you take when you begin to think about how you're going to structure it? Yeah, I always think about our objective back to our why. And then that's kind of the centerpiece and all of our consumer engagement touch points. And how can we have like the overall thematic or the storytelling of the campaign leveraged to all of these different channels in a really cool and innovative way? How many direct reports do you have right now? I have four right now. And what kind of leader would you say you are at director level? I would say I very much empower my team to take ownership of all of their outcomes. And I'm very collaborative back to, you know, I am so passionate about helping young talent succeed that I want everyone to have a seat at the table, regardless whether they're a coordinator or a manager or an intern, everyone's input should count. So it's interesting. I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's very, very senior in marketing at a company. And the corporate culture is also this idea of empowering each brand lead to really shine on their projects. And the truth of the matter is that some people do it really well and other people are not as organized or strategic or as thorough in the way that they approach different initiatives. And when you are a boss and you're watching that happen, but you're not supposed to micromanage because you want to empower, it's a really tricky sort of caught between, um, what is it, a rock and a hard place of not wanting to micromanage, like I said, but also not wanting things to slip through the cracks. So in that case, when you talk about empowering your team, there has to be times where you have to like hold people accountable and make sure that things are progressing in the way that you expect them to. So how do you address that without making them feel, you know, stifled? I think what I've learned from Katie actually is really leaning into people's strengths and one person is not going to be amazing at everything. And that's why we have a team. So I think another key component of my management style is being human and getting to know everyone outside of just work and being super open of where people's passions lie. So as we're working on projects, I know that this person's better at, you know, analytics or creative or whatever it might be so that we can help them succeed too. That's a great approach. What lessons and skills do you feel you have sort of acquired from the beginning that you've taken through? Like the most important things you've learned that are still with you today? I think one of the most important things early on in my career, I was always a little intimidated to speak up and I felt like I couldn't have a voice at the table. And I remember some of the best advice from one of my previous CMOs was like, if you're always looking out for the best of the business, no one can ever get mad at you. And sure, you might ruffle some feathers here and there, whether someone disagrees with you. But if it's always for the better of the business and growing the business, no one can ever be upset at you. And I feel like I've really taken that into account and found my voice. And I'm no longer afraid to speak up in meetings or come up with ideas. Um, And that's something I've really thought about at every role. I think that's a really good mental filter. Because then, you know, your heart's in the right place. It's true. Yeah. And it's not personal. I think, you know, a lot of times people always take business decisions personal and it's like, no, this is for the better of the company. We need to grow the business, whatever your objective is. But if you always have that lens, it it definitely helps. Let's talk about your current job now. This I find fascinating. 
So Ashley was asked to join an anonymous startup. So you think about going to apply for a job. It's like, here, go apply for this job. But sorry, you can't actually know what company it is. What goes on? Like Katie called you up and she's like, hey, I'm taking this new role as CMO. I can't tell you where I'm going. Do you want to come with me? Is that what happened? Well, she had left. And then a couple months later, she texts me and she was like, hey, are you open to talking a little bit more about this company I'm at? I can't really share much, but are you open? And I trust Katie implicitly. I'm like, absolutely. I will jump at the opportunity to work with her again. And after obviously signing several NDAs, then I finally found out it was Lita Gomez. But yeah, it was funny. What was your reaction when you found out? I was so excited. I was like, this is going to be huge. And once she shared the mission and really the purpose of tying in mental health and beauty, it was a no brainer. I'm like, why has this not been done before on a larger scale, you know, so, and mental health is something that's really personal to me and something that I've struggled with. So I was beyond excited to join. I feel like you lucked out because like, yes, you'd be psyched to work with Katie, but what if she just like took this random job, like a bad brand and you had said yes, and there you are. So first of all, what's it like working with Selena? Do tell. (laughs) She is the best. I mean, she's constantly inspiring me with all that she does. And I feel super grateful that I get to work with her. She's really the best. And she's like super involved in everything, right? Yeah, she's very involved. It's so fun. I can't say enough good things. I will say, and thank you for sending me my little goodie bag of makeup. Oh, yeah. The packaging is so beautiful. The makeup texture is so beautiful. It's really like a wonderful collection. Like, it's stunning. I know. It feels so good to wear. And I might be a little biased, but it finally feels good to have makeup that just feels good to wear and natural and weightless. So I'm really excited. But you had to launch this brand during a pandemic. We we did. So <laughs> tell us about that, because I'm sure you had all these amazing launch plans that you had to completely like redo. Oh, yeah. I mean, once the pandemic hit, you know, we've really doubled down on community. We have this incredible community and a big piece of the brand. Our goal is to create connections and make people feel less alone. And, you know, we had always planned to do so in real life events, but obviously with COVID, that's no longer a possibility. So we started these rare chats, which essentially are Zoom meetings with community members. And we talk about everything from what are you binging on Netflix to how can we help destigmatize mental health? And it's been really, really incredible to see the community grow and know everyone by first name. And we've built such a strong connection with them. One of the community members, Tuscany, she actually shared with me that she was pregnant before even posting on social media. It's so fun. I always tell Katie, I'm like, I wish I had friends like this growing up. They are just so kind and supportive. So who hosts it? I host them usually. And then there's about four or five other Rare Chat employees who join us. And it really is just like fun and getting to know one another. And initially, we started these more as a way to build connection between Mm -hmm. our community. But little did we know how great all of us would feel too. I mean, after every Rare Chat, every single one of us are like, wow, this is such a great way to start the day. I can relate because, you know, I've been doing those Leave Your Mark Live events and... It's so gratifying. 
it really is so gratifying. I mean, honestly, I think it's just like group therapy really is what it is, right? <laughs> it I mean, really, yes, that's the perfect way to explain I mean, it. It is. So from the perspective of networking right now and sort of how you build out your circle of people you can tap into, what is your go-to networking strategy? During COVID or pre-COVID? Well, during COVID, and we can say pre-COVID too, because in the hopes that one day you can <laughs> you can utilize that strategy again. Yeah, I think during COVID, it's really... I, LinkedIn is like the primary one. I think Twitter is the most hidden gem of them all. It's the most direct way to get to a CEO, CMO. You know, there's so many incredible people out there. And then pre-COVID, I was going to every conference, every Facebook event, any industry event, and I would just talk to people. Mm -hmm. And I think beyond that, it's really staying connected with them too and checking in regularly because I always meet with people and very few people actually follow up and check in regularly. It's true. It's true. So what's your method of checking in with people? Is it you sending an email and just saying, hey, what's going on? Or is it more social-based? Yeah, it's usually email or text. I think for anyone in New York, I'm usually emailing. And then LA, pre-COVID, I was like either doing double dates with my fiance and their husbands or you know grabbing happy hour or whatever it may be or going to industry events together. It's hard to keep up with people. It really is. And I think a lot of it too is social media and adding them as friends. Yeah, it's true. And yeah, and tapping into them in multiple ways. Let's go back to when you were saying you had that fearless mentality about moving to LA. I imagine the fearless mentality dips into other areas of your career as well. How do you channel that? It's all about perspective. I mean, if you think about what is the worst thing that can happen, someone doesn't like you, someone doesn't respond to your email. Sure, it hurts. It's a little bruised to the ego a bit, but that is the worst thing that can happen. And the more you try, like you will get there eventually. I think that's like most concerning about social media too, is that it gives this false pretense that you're supposed to make it by the age of 25. You're supposed to be here. And it's like, no, it takes a lot of hard work and grit to get where all those people are at. But unfortunately, Instagram gives you this false perception that you know, you've got to sell your next tech company by the age of 21. That's true. I was talking to someone yesterday, actually, about, you know, don't believe everything you see on Instagram, right? It's like someone can paint a really, really positive picture when behind the scenes, it's just smoke and mirrors, really. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of people have to remember that. I mean, I think step one with Instagram was getting rid of the likes. I think that that was a tremendous thing that they did. But you still have to keep it in mind because I do know, I mean, even my daughter, who I'll never forget one day, she told me that she wanted to be an actress. And I was like, well, why? And she's like, well, because they don't have any problems. And I'm like, oh, oh, yes. You're like, what do you oh, know? Oh, yes, they do. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think that especially for like the younger generation who just know digital, it can be very detrimental. Definitely. So as far as getting a job in digital, everyone says that they're, you know, a master of social media, digital guru, digital expert. How do people who genuinely have skills make themselves stand out? If you were hiring people right now, what are you looking for? 
I always look for people who are going above and beyond, whether it's, you know, you're sending your portfolio, you're sending me a mock-up of what you would do to our potential Instagram account, send me your Twitter account. You know, if you're building community or your TikTok, it's really seeing people who go above and beyond and really taking that initiative. I would definitely agree with that. So going back to Hourglass Cosmetics, you built that Instagram from 2016 to 2018 to over a million followers organically. Yes. So if you had told me that you did that in 2011, I'd say, okay, great, no big deal. But 2016 to 2018 is not a favorable time to grow anything organically. No, especially for beauty. So how did you do that? Really looking through how can we be different. At the time, it was like, you know, the strategy for a lot of beauty brands was just reposting UGC, which was great because you allowed your community to be seen and heard. But how could we almost take it another level? So it was a lot of trial and error and really getting down to the nitty gritty of the analytics of like, okay, by this hour, this is the amount of followers we saw. How can we replicate whatever we did? And going from there, at Hourglass also, we were not a brand that just did giveaways. It is a luxury makeup brand, and that was really not in our brand DNA. Um, So a lot of it too is storytelling. And right now for beauty, what do you think is the most important platform? TikTok. Yeah. I love TikTok. Everyone does. It's a dark hole. It is a dark hole. <laughs> well, it's a joyful hole. That is true. It's definitely a hole and you can definitely get sucked into hours, hours in there. But I do think there is an incredible amount of inspiration that you can get just from like being on there for even two minutes, just seeing something gives you an idea for something else. Yes. And these creators are so incredibly talented. And I think it's also so refreshing just to see people be authentic. And it's not this overly stylized, polished picture on Instagram anymore. It really is like getting to know the person. Yeah. I think TikTok's definitely giving Instagram a run for their money. It is. Yep. How do you tackle your own time management? I have a very structured to-do list. Is it on paper or is it digital? It's on paper. I'm so old school. I love, there's like nothing that brings me more satisfaction than like checking the box (laughs) that it's done. Yes. Totally get that. I've been known to complete something and then realize I didn't have it written down anywhere. So I will then write it and then cross it out just to, just to have that feeling of, okay, I did this. Yes, I do that all the time. Well, also I use my notebook to kind of look back and be like, okay, what do I need to follow up on? But I do the exact same thing. And the other big piece is time batching. So sometimes I will just carve out time on my calendar. Like I'm blocking out these two hours. I turn off my teams, my email. I will text my team to be like, hey, if you need anything urgent, text me. But having that allocated focus time really helps me actually get projects done. I think that's really smart because I do have to say, I mean, I should do that. I'm on Slack for every client, their Slacks. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So you can (laughs) imagine just the oversensitized of like hearing those dings on your computer because generally I don't turn the volume down because generally there's a Zoom meeting that I need to like have volume for. So I would be turning it up and down every four seconds. But I do think, and you're the second person this week that spoke to me about that really non-interrupted time of no outside stimulation whatsoever and just pure focus on whatever the task is that you're doing. I think I need to start doing that. 
Yeah. Cause then otherwise you become like a slave to team or Slack or your email. And it's like, it's not productive. It's not productive at all. What are some tips you can give on how people can be indispensable to their bosses? I think it goes back to the emotional intelligence that we were talking about, really listening. And I think a really big one too is leaving your ego at the door. And I think that's where you were talking about earlier of, you know, this mentality of like, that's not within my job title. You know, that's not a productive mindset to have, especially as you're growing in your career. And I think lastly, really being a solution oriented mindset, you know, if you kind of take a step back and think about what your boss is going through, they are stressed about 10 other things and it is not the problem that you have. So how can you actually be an ally and help them and come with solutions? That's great advice. Now you're much younger than me. So I have an opinion that typically I think a younger person would disagree with, but I feel like you're going to agree. And then I'd love to hear your point of view. So I would imagine as a guest that you're not someone who starts her day at 9 a.m. and ends her day at 5.59 p.m. and checks out. No, I am not. I think your mentality is very much like you said at the beginning where you put on that hat of like, if this was your brand or you were the CMO and how you would sort of treat the work. So what kind of expectations do you put on your team in that regard? And obviously acknowledging that work-life balance is important, but I do think, and I was saying this yesterday as well on a different podcast, that the most successful people I know don't just check out at 5.59 PM. So what do you expect of your team and what do you recommend to people who are listening as far as that is concerned? As far as my team, I mean, I'm always about working smarter, not harder. So hey, if you can get your job done between those hours, I'm all for it. But they definitely know when I give them a project and a deadline, it is due on this day. And certainly I don't want people staying up till midnight working on projects. Mm -hmm. Like, let me know, we can figure it out. But they definitely know when something is due. And then as far as recommendation for someone starting off in their career, it's kind of going back to like going the extra mile. And I mean, again, you don't need to work till 10 o'clock every night, but it's really going that extra mile and helping people out. Um, Mm -hmm. And I always joke with my fiance and my sister, I'm like, starting work 30 minutes earlier each day automatically gives you two and a half hours of extra time to work. And that two and a half hours, you can work on another project. So it's really kind of like hacking your day in a way of how can you maximize your time? Yeah, that's true. That's definitely true. Listen, I've always been someone who will respond anytime, like at night, on the weekend, whenever. And my mentality with that was, I want to be indispensable. I want my boss to know that she can always count on me. And it's served me well. And I'm sure you're the same way. Like, I'm sure if Katie sends you an email on the weekend, you're not going to like, like, oh, it's the weekend. I'll respond to her on Monday. Like, you're going to respond. No, always. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting though, because there are a lot of people who do not subscribe to that. No, they really don't. And I mean, I think too, it's like whatever works best for your mental health too. Like I love working. I'm a hustler. Like my fiance always jokes, I need to find a hobby outside of work. And I'm like, this is my hobby. What are you talking about? This is great. (laughs) So, you know, I think too, it's like different techniques work for different people, but to really thrive and grow, you need to put in the extra work and 
the extra miles to really stand out. So you are currently director of integrated marketing, integrated digital marketing, rather. What's next for you as far as like your bucket list and how do you ultimately want to leave your mark? Like I know you're super goal oriented, so maybe you have this answer handy, but like what's the North Star for you? Then the day I really want to be a CMO and I want to help women lead and succeed in digital. That's always been a really top priority for me. And I've been so lucky to work with incredible female leaders and founders and seen like firsthand what a force they've been with in the industry. So, you know, I want to see more women sitting at the table and I want to help them get there. As far as what's next, it's funny because I'm really, really happy with where I'm at. And it's funny that in the last year, so I always had this mindset of like, I have to do this by the time I'm 30, I'm going to be a director. I have to be a VP at 32. And my mindset has really shifted in the last year. I'm having so much fun in my current role and learning every single day from this incredible team that I definitely have goals. I mean, to be a VP in the next like four years, but I'm not so much worried about like, when is this going to happen and just really enjoying the moment. And I think you get there when you have an awesome team around you and you're constantly learning. I think that's great. I mean, you're on the right path. You're obviously doing an amazing job at what you do. You're a rising star. Thank you. And I'm so excited to see where your career goes and I'll be watching. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor to be here. It's a pleasure to have you on. And I think that Katie, if you're listening, if people start trying to poach Ashley, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to Leave Your Mark, the podcast. If you want more career advice, be sure to pick up a copy of my best-selling book, Leave Your Mark. You can subscribe to my newsletter on alizalick.com or LinkedIn. If you're on social, be sure to follow at Leave Your Mark Podcast to keep up with all the new episodes on Instagram. Say hi to me at ElisaLichtXO. And if you're on Twitter, reach out at ElisaLicht. If you're into virtual events, I hope you'll join me for Leave Your Mark Live, my monthly mentoring events for up to 10 people. People come from different industries around the world to join together to solve each other's work problems. So come with your issue and I promise you'll leave with your solution. I hope to see you there.